Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. This past Sunday was the feast of the slaughter of the innocents, in which Herod aligns himself with the worshipers of the Christ child. He said, well, tell me, you know, where the Christ child is, that I too may go and worship him. And of course, the, the point is that he is lying in order to manipulate and control and use his power. Is that then in some way the principle that I guess we should just read, you know, that's really the story of Christ, that the beginning of his life is an all-powerful political ruler manipulating the Christ child, and Pilate is, of course, going to crucify Christ 30 years later for the same reasons to maintain his power, even though he himself proclaims the man completely innocent, so that the slaughter of the innocent, uh, whether it's the innocent in Bethlehem, whether it's the innocent at the borders, or if it's the innocent in abortion, which of course is the driving force in a great deal of Roman Catholic thought, that in some way it is always the innocents that right and left are, are all willing to slaughter certain numbers of innocent. It just depends on where they are or who they are. And of course, the point is that the innocent one has been slain and that that's the way that we're to read the situation, not in some, you know, if you read that as a, a kind of deconstruction of political power, you read it against the dark background in which it occurs oh, then that immediately takes hold. The Christmas story is a political story. It's a deconstruction, an undoing, uh, an exposing of the the nature of political power. The way uh, Paul articulates it is about the powers. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. It is political. It's power in a lot of different contexts. But something you said, I think it affected us both very, very deeply at the same time. I kind of looked over at Vanji when, when, yeah, there's, I don't know why I hadn't made that connection. Herod wanting to kill the, the baby and 30 years later, Pilate finishes the job. The message of the kingdom is powerlessness, the powerlessness of God becoming a child, being born to a poor couple in an illegitimate kind of situation, in every way has undermined his power in the world. But that is still such a threat to the powers that they have to kill it. I think you were the one, Paul, that was saying a few minutes ago, oh, it was the the other movie that you brought up, where they, they say to him, you understand that if we kill you, this comes to nothing. Your not becoming us will have meant nothing. Then, then why is it such a threat to you? Why is powerlessness such a threat? It, I have always been shocked when you say, "I just don't think we should Christians should be killing people." How offended people will will become at that, and angry. Of course, we've got to be killing. Why is a non? Why is the nonviolent kingdom of God? a threat. It undermines the values of the world's 
power structures that say our job is to empty ourselves. And people buy that. They're not going to buy into this world's economies. And they're not going to fight your wars for you anymore. It's power and powerlessness. I think one of the things that that Francis understands, or at least understood, is that, you know, to become a pope, you're in at least an odd position of having a lot of power with which to do powerlessness. But as he goes back to his life of being a cardinal, how did he express it? Through through giving up, living in his palace, through working in soup kitchens. And that's why Ratzinger says to him, your life is a critique. There's a John the Baptist kind of... There is a prophetic a prophetic witness piece to to the whole thing and i think that's there's a part where he says we have become so detached from the world we're not a part of it and he doesn't he doesn't mean that in a good way he says we're no longer a part of the world we don't belong to it we're not connected to it we're not connected to these people around us enough to partake in their suffering um, to identify with them as Christ identified with us. So we're, we're nothing. We have nothing to offer, but this hollow, shiny thing that is so certain. I wonder some at the same being said of how we do approach scripture. The thing that has gotten me in almost as much trouble as saying I believe in nonviolence is to look a senior pastor in the face and say, I take a high view of scripture. You can see them just look for a place to run. They're not sure what to do when you say, I believe in the authority of scripture and taking a high view of scripture. Because if I take this book and I'm a part of it and I belong to it, and it is a missional idea of being connected with these stories and with the overall story, overall arching story of scripture and of this narrative, then I have no place in that large, shiny, hollow structure that Mm -hmm. operates Mm -hmm. with power Mm -hmm. from a position of fear. So what you were saying about how we read this, how we think about reading this, how we teach and what we teach I suppose if I had been in a place that never been doing anything but these really cool graphic sermons from sermon.com that are just terribly vapid, and I had gotten a steady diet of that for like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, that I think building a wall was a good idea too. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) One of the things that I also, I think before we wrap up, you mentioned Jerzak a little bit ago, and Jerzak's take on the atonement, it's a term that Vanjie's used several times because it's it's really been a model that we have got a lot from, and that's called, it's called identification. That the story of the gospel is God became human to identify with our suffering and to identify with the oppressed among us and endured all of that oppression from the power. And that included our oppression and all of us participate in that. So when we participate in trying to make somebody else suffer for us, we are doing to Jesus because he's identified with those people. But he also identifies with you and I when we have been oppressed as well. 
but that means then that we are called. He didn't do it for us so we don't have to. He did it and said, come and do this with me. Pick up your cross and follow with me. So that means that we identify, we're called to identify ourselves with folks who have, who have suffered by the powers. And ultimately, the wall, this current hardline turn towards the, uh, towards the poor and the refugee across the globe is Antichrist. It is the Antichrist. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is the complete opposite of what Jesus has called us to be. I think that's why it's been so so hard to, to look at and not be screaming all the time. No, this is not what Jesus has called us to. But that's one of the things that, that in the film really comes out quite a bit is the, the church has been thinking about the wrong things while these kind of injustices have grown more and more and more. And we're at this turning point in the world where it's become, it's got to such a point, inequality has got to such a point, the, the earth itself is being destroyed and people are dying and we're willing to continue to kill and let and sacrifice somebody else. Like you said earlier, whether it's on the liberal side or the conservative side, we're willing to sacrifice somebody else in order to maintain this sort of existence. And that is, um, I, I don't know if that if you could say a nutshell, but to me, that's what the whole thing is turning on. That's what the whole movie and the, the idea. Let me is. give you a complete antichrist position from a profound Catholic thinker. I think this is Michael Novak. And he's talking about capitalism and liberal democracy. Capitalism, you understand, is the perfect expression of the Trinity. That here is the peak, here is the culmination of Christian civilization. Because you see the tensions of the market economy resolving itself then in a kind of perfect harmony. So that in the capitalistic system that is going to be supported by a liberal democratic system. Christian civilization has reached its moment of epic progress so that to defend capitalism and to defend the liberal democratic American way is synonymous with defending an authentic Christian faith. Hopefully everyone who will listen to this would know the context would remember <laughs> this is the antichrist <laughs> that, that is antichrist nothing about thing about that statement <laughs> was christian uh if you read first things if you uh, delve into uh, the interesting thing here is the really good thinkers who uh, in fact evangelicals are following are Catholic thinkers, those who have defined the moment, just as Steve Bannon is really the thinker, I think, behind Donald Trump, and Steve Bannon is in line with uh, Newhouse and Novak and Irving Kristol, that the picture then is that American civilization is synonymous with Christian civilization, meaning that we are truly not in a metaphorical cultural war, but it is a literal cultural war 
in which Christian civilization must defeat at this moment in time Islamic civilization in order to reign supreme and to be the city set upon a hill. That is, if you go back to Bush, the thought that unfolds then, I think with Trump and the thinkers that are there, that Trump then is the end product of a kind of fundamentalist understanding flowing out of a really a kind of Catholic medieval notion, a kind of Constantinian notion of the fusion of church and state in which we're only going to accomplish Christian purposes through that fusion. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, this none of this is new. It's just an articulation of it that puts it together. We look at the situation that's out there now, and it feels so chaotic. And, and so these kind of statements are helpful to, to really let you say, what's the sort of thing that's holding this all together? What's making all this work? It is, a f- not just superficially, but fundamentally, it is a, a fusion of liberal democracy and capitalism and Christian thinking. I mean, it is it is today's syncretism of paganism and Christianity to make. The, the quote you read has kind of got us speechless over here. <laughs> it, for, for me, the whole time you were reading that, I was going, and I've got to love that person. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to love it. I've got to love uh, that person. That's the person. That's the person I've got to love. Um, that's, that's, um, I, I spend quite a bit of time talking to myself because I always agree. And um, with yourself, with myself. And I feel very alone with, um, in, in most arenas as far as this kind of thinking goes. I administrate a school that's incredibly um, multicultural. They're being taught a peace perspective in chapel, whether they know it or not. But people come into the school to to tour and say, this is a peaceful place. They're without any provocation. And yet I have people want to know why that looks the way it is and that that is attractive to people. I want to very much in my flesh say, it's because I'm not doing what you're doing. That's the whole reason why this looks the way it looks. But I have to find a way to love those people, kind of like in the movie, when there are these two men with these completely opposing views. Uh, Benedict turned around to Francis at one point and says, I disagree with you on just about everything. Yet somehow they're able to find moments of enough humanity with one another to be able to go on and continue. And I think that for me at this point, going into this election year, knowing it's just about to ramp up and get worse here between January and November to find a way to remember, to assign humanity um, to these people, the same way I assign humanity to the refugee and the immigrant and not see them as monsters. Is They're scared, but they're, not because that makes me operate out of a position of fear. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I don't want to do that. Either. And I can't operate yeah. out of love. The tendency at this moment, and, and you know, we, we might imagine the political swing between Democratic and Republican is going to make some profound difference. And I think there, in other words, one could argue either side of that. 
But I, I think the, the point to see in all of this, I, I don't necessarily have a coherent story to tell in and through either of those systems. In other words, I don't think Christianity is one that can align itself with any democratic or republican or national or state agenda. And what that means is that in terms of this world, I can't tell you a story that will make sense of Christianity in terms of this world's political parties, nation states, or even tell you a a happy ending to this. Absolutely. And so I think that the, the swing, I feel it in myself and kind of arguing with myself here, that one might just react against one party or the other. And of course, the you know, the, the strange thing, when you look at any of these political figures in any depth, the end result of what they do, you know, if you go back to Clinton, in spite of his depiction as kind of a left-wing liberal, there is a sense that he did more damage to the justice system. And I think he's recognized this himself, that the that it's under his administration and that we've actually populated the prisons. Or you go to Barack Obama, who is the kind of the liberal darling, who used drone strikes then. It, it was kind of a clean war, but still is killing children. That everybody in these systems are willing to kill. That's a requirement that you have to be willing to kill and you have to be willing ultimately to use weapons of mass destruction, nuclear weapons, even to qualify for the office of president of the United States. No one's going to be elected to this office that's not willing to commit to nuclear war, to mutually assured destruction, and to to be able to tell some story that can say, well, this is the way that Christianity functions in all this, or this is the gain that we have. I think we can tell that incrementally, that we're salt and light, and that we can describe then the way in which there is a real-world salvation for people being delivered from real-world depression. But ultimately, the apocalyptic breaking in of God into the world, which I think begins with Christ, is a story that we can't then dictate the narrative and its outcome. And so part of relinquishing certainty is giving up certainty of just entrusting ourselves to a security in God. I can tell you in, in incremental detail how to love people and what that would mean, but I can only entrust myself to God that evil, in fact, will be overcome and defeated. And I can do my little part in that story. It's because Jesus has already disarmed the powers. Yeah. This is right. This is what Paul says. If anything, the the Democrats are just as willing to bomb and they're just as willing to deport. We've seen that. And, you know, if you think about the problem with the health care system, you know, Barack Obama's big plan to try to make health care accessible for the poor, well, that's nice. The only problem is he still wanted it to be a for-profit industry uh, because he was still a capitalist. <laughs> and the tension of the, of the health care system isn't that poor people can't afford it. It's that it's all about making a profit for shareholders. Yeah. That goal is antithetical to giving the poor health care. So the goal, I think, of us prophetically, and 
and this has been something I, I've only tried to live out in an angry way. <laughs> but True to John the Baptist. <laughs> is to try to call people, call Christians to think differently. We've struggled in places where the church was Republican, and we've struggled in places where the church was Democrat, because we were trying to call people out of both of those and, and say, you know, Jesus is different from all that. That's, I think, why the figure of John the Baptist is so important, why Jesus' conversations with Pharisees and Sadducees are so important, why the, those conversations in the last week, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus answers with like riddles. There's not really clean answers, but it it's going to happen. I think when Christians trust enough just to mm-hmm. trust, just, mm-hmm. just to follow. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Glad we could uh, do the conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you were willing to talk about this one with us. We've been kind of thinking about. It. Sorry about our clock going off here. Uh, Oh, it's an ominous sound. I thought it was like a sign from God. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.